So this afternoon we're going to be considering the Christmas message. Now in this country uh, we find that when it comes to this time of the year the Royal Mail um, always remind us of the last posting dates for deliveries prior to Christmas. And in case you're interested it's uh, Wednesday the 20th this year for deliveries by the 24th. And one of the adverts that they uh, they often show is an image which shows people posting their cards into one of their letterboxes. Uh, and we can see the heading on one of these cards. It says, Peace on Earth. And, of course, at this time of the year, we do see on cards, we read on banners, that are in shops, we hear messages in the various methods of media, the message is peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And these are of course very familiar phrases which have amazingly survived for 2,000 years since the birth of our Lord Jesus. But do these words actually mean anything to us today? Do they mean anything more than being revived annually as a means of promoting some type of best wishes? Or are they simply repeated in cities around the world because it's Christmas time? When we are persuaded to remember the birth of our Lord Jesus and the words which tradition tells us that the heavenly host uttered to the shepherds on the hillside. And sadly for many, the Peace on Earth theme is simply tradition, and no attempt is made at this time to settle the differences which exist between major powers in the world, or even minor differences. Diplomacy, or perhaps lack of diplomacy, politics, terrorism and wars, they don't debate at this time of year. There are no signs of easing of the tensions that are in the world, even in the nominal Christian countries that we find in the world. We can listen to carols being sung on the radio. I passed through King's Cross Station on uh, Friday and there was a, a choir singing there and it sounded lovely as the, the carols resonated uh, through the station. What else? We, we get uh, uh, Christian services on the television. <coughs> Maybe there is a, a good feeling for a short time. But generally speaking, Christmas, is t Christmas time is celebrated in the same way and sometimes in the same spirit as we might celebrate Guy Fawkes Day in the UK or perhaps Bastille Day in France in July. But there are differences between Christmas celebrations and these other traditional dates. Firstly, Christ, uh, Christmas is much more widely ce celebrated. Two weeks tomorrow, there will be people in the majority of countries in the world remembering that it is Christmas. And in remembering, they will alter their daily routine in some way or another. 
even if it's only in a small way. So we do have to say that the Christmas season does have a good effect on millions of people throughout the earth. By tradition, Christmas has become a, a time of giving and receiving. At this time, people who have possibly ignored each other's existence for the, the whole of the year, they suddenly <coughs> look more favourably upon their neighbours and send them greeting cards with messages of health and happiness. They may even stretch to send me gifts to some that they've not spoken to for 12 months. What has happened to cause this apparent change in heart? Well, probably nothing. It's simply that people will, at least outwardly, try to live up to the tradition to patch up differences and to send greetings to former acquaintances. Gifts are exchanged because it's the, the done thing at this time of year. And a, a fresh start is made to friendships which have maybe gone on the rocks. People are a little more charitable, donating to those needy causes that are we see around us in the world. So perhaps we can conclude that Christmas tide can do and actually does do a great deal of good. But let's not confuse this with the belief that it is because the Lord God or his Son, Jesus Christ, is ruling the hearts of mankind that so much goodwill is evident at this time. It's quite clear that many people who sent cars and deliver generous gifts have no belief in Jesus or in the Lord God. They're moved not by Christian beliefs, but because of traditions in this country and in other countries around the globe, and simply enjoy the more benevolent atmosphere that this whole time engenders. And of course, this spirit only works at an individual level. We don't see the Brexit negotiations coming to an amicable, amicable solution, uh, simply because it's Christmas. It would be more than the negotiator's job was worth, and to give a generous concession, simply because it was Yuletide. Nor do we see crime reducing. In fact, we see an increase in certain areas. We don't see wars abating. In fact, possibly there's more risk of one faction attacking another during this period because one group maybe has a guard down while they're celebrating. So, from what we've considered so far, you may have the impression that we consider this time of the year to be one that is celebrated only by those who pay a lip service, that nothing more than a traditional card and gift exchanging has survived since the Lord Jesus was on the earth. But that's not what we believe. There is a real Christmas message, and although 
perhaps most people know it, very few seem to appreciate it. And the message is simple. It's in the form of a promise. A promise that will be kept because it was made by the Lord God himself. And here's the message. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And that's quite simple. It's easily understood too. There is to be peace on the earth, so much of it, that there'll be no room for anything but peace. No wars, no terrorism, no feuds, whether international, civil or at a personal level. No need to stockpile weapons, no need to be wary of nations or of one another. There will only be peace. And this is to be enjoyed by everyone who is living at that time. And with it, goodwill toward men. Goodwill from whom? Goodwill from the Lord God and also from man to man. The reverse, in fact, of the old Robert Burns dirge. Man was made to mourn. Let me just read the seventh verse. Many and sharp the numerous ills, inwoven with our frame. More pointed still, we make ourselves regret, remorse and shame. And man whose heavenly erected face, the smiles of love adorn. Man's inhumanity to man makes countless thousands mourn. Man's inhumanity to man. <coughs> so much of that exists around us today. So what about this promised time of peace and goodwill? Some people will say that our only hope of peace will be when we have died and are buried under a headstone with the words rest and peace engraved upon it. But this is not the Bible message. We know from the Bible that when a person dies, their thoughts perish. Therefore, they are obviously at peace at this time, but the person has never been blessed with peace of mind. And the physical peace, which the Almighty Creator promised in his word, the person is dead and knows nothing. Therefore, nothing can worry them as they lie in the grave. So, if this state is the ultimate peace which is promised to mankind, then it's surely an extremely strange solution for the mind that has worries. But we find in the Bible that death is not the means to the promise of peace. In the Beatitudes, or Blessings, which the Lord Jesus taught his disciples in the Mount of Olives, we read, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And we find from the Bible references 
that Jesus was quoting from Psalm 37. Where, let me just read verse 11 to you. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. In verse 18 of the same psalm. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care and their inheritance will endure forever. Well, what do we make of these verses? And I should point out that these are only two of many verses that we could have looked at this afternoon. Well, firstly, those who can accept God's word and let it mould their lives so that they do follow the Lord's teachings and way of life, then those, the meek, are promised the earth for an inheritance. Not to place in heaven, not a paradise on a remote planet, but a place on this earth where people can feel at home and also which is the only environment that we ever find in the Bible as a habitation for man. And this is what Jesus taught his disciples as he sat, sat amongst them on Mount Olivet. He taught that not only would they inherit the earth, but secondly, that they would also enjoy an abundance of peace. And if we look at today's world, and no matter how hard we try to work it out, we would find it impossible without God's intervention that the meek should inherit the earth and that the whole earth would be at peace. In relatively recent times, we've seen two great confederations of nations that have been formed for the establishment and maintenance of peace on the earth. Both organisations have failed. Firstly, there was the League of Nations, which was formed after the First World War in 1920, and it comprised of 63 countries. This was replaced in, after the uh, Second World War, 1945, by the United Nations. The United Nations currently has 193 countries. But these organisations have failed. And why have they failed? Well, firstly, both were formed after a great deal of thought and work by men who were genuinely interested in this world, that it should become a better place to live in. A world where all spare resources of food and wealth would be utilised in raising the standard of living for every human being. Instead of it being spent on the development of weapons that are capable of massive destruction. But what happened? What became of the high ideals of these organisations? The rules were stated clearly. No nation was to use force against any other nation until the matter had been discussed around the conference table and judgment given by some of the most skilled brains in international law. Assuming that two nations opposing each other accepted the judgment, the matter would be settled amicably, and 
there would be no war. But as always, the strength of a chain is in its weakest link. And the weakest links were nations whose signatures weren't worth the ink that they were written with. Critics of the United Nations state that it treats non-democratic nations and perhaps even despotic nations uh, as being as legitimate as the democratic countries. So, rules and regulations were bent and they were stretched until they broke. And so we find that war follows war in this world. And looking at the internet this week, um, depending on where you look at the internet, uh, it states that uh, currently there are at least 60 wars ongoing in the world at this time in 2017. So, the earth is as far from peace as it ever was. But God has other plans. And these plans have been in place far longer than the League of Nations or United Nations. The Lord God has determined to have peace on this earth. And to achieve this end, he is sending his son, the Lord Jesus, back to this earth to establish peace and to maintain it. There will be no weak links in this divine organisation because nations will not be invited to come and sign a treaty with the Messiah. They will have to accept his terms. In fact, it becomes more personal than that. The individual will be invited to accept the conditions laid down by the Lord Jesus. Simple conditions that we can find in the scriptures. And let's turn now to some Bible references to see what the Bible does have to tell us. I'm going to turn firstly to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9, reading from verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And we, we might recognise these words that are uh, sung in Handel's Messiah, particularly at this time of the year. They tell us of the promise of the coming Messiah and the things he will accomplish when he comes to this earth. But did Jesus' disciples <coughs> look at his return to the, the world as a, a realistic occurrence? Did they consider it to perhaps be an influence that might make people behave better? Maybe celebrating with cards and gifts? I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 1, 
to see what they really believe. Acts 1, I'm going to read from verse 6. <coughs> then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all, all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After Jesus said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you to heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him going to heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. From these words that we just read, there can be no doubts. Jesus will physically return. Let me just read from Numbers. It's the 14th chapter of the book of Numbers. We find Moses here pleading with God on behalf of the wayward Israelites. And God replies with these words. Lord replied, I have forgiven them as you asked. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. And we could read on and he continues to warn the Israelites. But we see from just a few of these words that I just read that if the earth is to be filled with the glory of the Lord, there's obviously going to be no place for envy, for strife, for terrorism, for sin, for wars. In fact, it's implicit, even this phrase, that peace will prevail over the whole of the earth. Another single verse, we find this again, this is from Isaiah 11. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that is the message that runs throughout the Bible. That God does have a purpose with this creation. Not a continuation of war, terror, disease, famine, floods and death, but a time of peace and happiness. And this will come when the Lord Jesus, the promised Messiah, returns in power and glory, as the word of God has promised that he will. I'm going to turn to Isaiah chapter 2. 
where we can rid of this kind of peace. Reading from the beginning of Isaiah chapter 2. <coughs> This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so that we may walk in his path. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war any more. I've returned now to Luke's Gospel, where we started, where John read from, we find that the messenger of God who appeared to the shepherds had more to his message than peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Look to, and we'll start at verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Notice that Jesus was to be a Saviour and also the Lord's anointed. How could the Lord Jesus carry out carry us out as the world saviour from a remote position at his father's right hand in heaven. Well we could argue that he does intercede for those who pray through him to the Father, but then again only a small number pray. And it's unlikely that this would bring peace on earth. But we have quoted from Isaiah that the Messiah is to come as Prince of Peace and Jesus is the Messiah. So the baby born in the stable in Bethlehem is the Son of God, the Messiah, whose return has been awaited ever since he ascended from Mount Olivet, Mount Olive all these years ago. What then is the significance of the Christmas message for us this afternoon? Well, if we're content to live our lives as they are, with the problems that we see in the world, then perhaps it's not significant. Apart from a, a small amount of goodwill for a few days at this time of the year. But if we would like to have a hope of seeing a much better future, then the Christmas message is indeed truly 
a real message. And I like to point out that it's not a case of sitting back and waiting to see what happens, waiting to see whether God's message and promises are true. The Lord Jesus is not going to be announced just before he returns so that we can decide. One day, the world will suddenly realise that the Messiah has returned. And by that time, it might be too late for those who prefer to wait and see what would happen. Throughout the Bible, we are told that we must be prepared for the return of the Lord Jesus. Because such a time of trouble will precede his coming. And we don't know whether we'll be alive or dead before he returns. Turning to Luke chapter 21, where we can read one account of these times of trouble. This is reading from verse 25 of Luke 21. There will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. On earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And to those who are prepared, the Lord says, verse 28, When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And concludes in verse 36, Be always on the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And this is surely the important part of the Christmas message. That of the coming salvation through the return of the Lord Jesus. And if we prepare ourselves now by believing these things which are written for our salvation, by repenting and being baptised, then we can look forward with confidence to the time when the Almighty really does show goodwill towards men and to real peace on this earth.